Soundtrack to Cocktail that we all had. Elizabeth Shue, Tom Cruise. And didn't uh, John Stamos play drums for this song, for the Beach Boys? Oh, I did or not know that. at least in the video he did. I don't know Music if in the studio he recording he did, but yeah. <laughs> That's great. Welcome to the 80s. 1988 is our Flashback Friday year in honor of the John and Ken Show, 30th anniversary this week. As we we have been doing for the last couple of weeks, we're giving away $1,000 an hour. So we'll tell you in a few minutes how it is that you can win that. Uh, We will do so through, I think it's about uh, through the 6 o'clock hour tonight on Conway's show. He'll give it away and then we'll start it all again on Monday morning, giving away $1,000 with Wake Up Call and Jonesy right there. In the 5 o'clock hour. Coming up a little bit after noon, we will go live to Washington, D.C. to hear more about this S-hole fallout. That's good. Stuff falling out of the S-hole. It's good. Mm. And the excitement with which uh, all of the people on CNN are getting to say it. Well, there is a secret list making its way through the L.A. County District Attorney's Office, or at least one unit. A secret list of criminal cases featuring L.A. County Sheriff's deputies. Eric Leonard joins us now with all the details. Eric, tell us about the secret list. Well, what happened here is that the uh, the L.A. County District Attorney's Office has agreed or has decided to begin going back through thousands of criminal cases that involve a select number of L.A. County Sheriff's deputies whose names appear on a list that was prepared by the L.A. County Sheriff's Department last year. Well, no, last last year, in 2016. Their naughty list? It was the naughty list that we first reported on in the fall of 2016. And there's several hundred deputies on this list. The Sheriff's Department sent warning letters to the homes of the deputies on the list saying, by the way, we've re-examined your personnel files, we've realized that we caught you lying, beating your wife, making up stuff in police reports, a long list of things, dishonesty, misconduct. And this list is going to be turned over to L.A. County prosecutors because the sheriff's department at the time believed that in the interest of greater transparency and preventing problematic deputies from being sworn in under oath to testify, prosecutors should know who the worst offenders were among its sworn deputies. We report that on the air. The Sheriff's Deputies Union, uh, later, late 2016, files a lawsuit to stop Jim McDonald from turning this list over to prosecutors because in California, police officers are protected by special secrecy laws that don't apply to anybody else that say if you're a cop and you break your department's rules and you do something bad and the department punishes you for it, those records and even the fact that it happened are considered secret. And nobody can know about those things, even if those things play into your possible character or credibility in court, unless a judge decides that it's relevant to an ongoing criminal case. So virtually never. Certainly the public doesn't get to know. And McDonald, and at the time, uh, the former assistant sheriff, Todd Rogers, told me that 
they're like, look, we don't want these people representing the sheriff's department, period, but we can't fire them. We want them uh, to not be on the witness stand uh, conveying critical testimony in a case where the defense could turn around and say, but wait a second, what about these instances where you lied on a police report or you planted evidence on somebody? Why'd you lie then and now we're supposed to take your word as truth? Exactly. So the union stopped him from turning over the list. That lawsuit is now at the California Supreme Court. And there's going to be argument and hearing later this year and a ruling that could potentially be earth-shattering for police in California. It will uh, quite likely change California law. Uh, and that special law that's protected police officers for for lots and lots of years in L.A. County. Uh, back to the reality, we've been trying to find out more about the people that are on this list and what's happened. The L.A. Times was leaked an old version of the list, so not the one that was in question about being turned over to prosecutors, but maybe a draft from six months earlier. We've heard, and uh, some of the names on those uh, of those deputies were included in a pretty exhaustive published report maybe two months ago or a month and a half ago where the Times described uh, what the misconduct was. And they were things that most people, I imagine, would be fairly alarmed at, especially since a lot of the people on the list have since been promoted. They're certainly, uh, the large majority of them are still on the Sheriff's Department being paid and could be called into court at any moment. Well, reading through some of the things that they're accused of... No, not that they're accused of. They did. And we're punished for it. That's why they're on the list. Okay, well, then my reaction to it was, why did the punishment not include dismissal from the sheriff's department? Some of these are ridiculously bad. Is that because of liability reasons? It's really difficult to fire a government employee, let alone a sworn peace officer government employee. And oftentimes these cases are adjudicated through an internal trial board at the LAPD. It's called um, a board of rights. The sheriff's department has something similar. And instead of the case being aired in public in criminal court, uh, oftentimes the cases are handled in the internal review process, which is covered by all these secrecy rules. And then uh, deputies are punished for things that might be really bad and they go right back to their jobs. How many cases are at stake here? So what's happened is the district attorney's office still does not have the list because remember, List is being stopped by the union that's challenging it, and the Supreme Court's going to rule. However, based on the news reports, the sheriff, the uh, the L.A. County District Attorney's Office is now going to start going through its own records. The DA's office has a database, which is pretty interesting, that would allow one to search based on the name of an individual, and the DA's office can then find out in its database whether or not that person was ever subpoenaed to testify in a criminal case. So they can take the names of the deputies, run them through the database, and pull out a list of cases where this person came into court, swore on the witness stand to tell the truth, uh, and their testimony was used in that trial. So what the DA's office is doing, and eventually will have to do if they get the entire list, is reverse searching its database, saying, okay, here's the names, let's spit out a list of all the cases they were involved in, let's go back to those cases and find out exactly what testimony this particular person offered. I have a question. Because now their credibility could be severely questioned. Yes. Why is the DA's office doing this? Why aren't they just sticking their head in the, stand, in the sand and saying, we don't have the list? And why aren't defense attorneys doing this work 
it would seem like they're the ones who would want to bring this whole thing to light. Well, a couple of reasons. One is prosecutors have a legal obligation to turn over to defense lawyers exculpatory information about the evidence they're presenting. And that includes the testimony and the character of the witnesses. Post-haste. Well, post-conviction. Yeah. Well... I don't think so. Well, they're... uh, Yes and no. Uh, There's there's two different rulings that I've been told kind of cover this issue. The problem is, if... Defense lawyers start going back through and uncovering this sort of thing. It's going to land at the DA's office Then they anyway. have to go through and do that. They may but, as well do the work now, hmm. um, especially because there's going to be lots of cases where somebody comes in and testifies, yeah, I was standing on this corner and I saw the car go by also. It's, it amplifies what six other witnesses said. So that's a case that you might set aside and say, okay, let's not focus on that. Let's look for the one where it's only this particular individual's testimony that maybe sent somebody to prison. Um, Another wrinkle in all of this that's worth mentioning is that the misconduct issues that are dealt with through the secret process are often the same kind of criminal matters that you and I, ordinary people, would have to face in criminal court. But because the DA's office in L.A. County for many years, I don't know if this is true today, but for many years had the philosophy that it is very difficult to prosecute a law enforcement officer because witnesses tend to, or juries, tend to believe police officers more than the general public. Oftentimes, even when police officers were accused of a crime, most commonly domestic violence and DUI, the DA's office would decline to file criminal charges, even though they would file criminal charges against ordinary people. And they refer the case to the police department for administrative proceedings. So what you have here in this misconduct list is not just deputies who maybe misreported the gas left in their patrol car at the end of the shift. The things that are in there would be criminal for ordinary society. But because of the way prosecutors and police departments work with one another, the list includes things that would in any other circumstance amount to a criminal record. That's why the sheriff's department under its newest leadership of Jim McDonnell felt like prosecutors need to know who these individuals are before they file criminal cases based on sworn statements from people who in the past have been less than honest. It's interesting. I mean, it makes you think about everybody who testifies at a trial. Sure. And is their whole uh, history uh, able to be brought up? You know, if I say I saw Eric shoot Gary Hoffman this morning when I was on the way to work, if I'm on the stand saying that, then is somebody able to come up and and reveal my uh, my criminal past? No, or and, my... it, and it doesn't happen automatically in court either. It's up to the trial judge to decide if the misconduct in the background of the individual who's testifying is relevant to what's coming up in court. How would a DUI for a cop be relevant for him testifying in a murder trial 10 years later? Probably not. But if the same deputy is making DUI arrests then the fact that that same deputy has a DUI conviction might be relevant to the case. And it's up to the judge. It doesn't just happen automatically. The defense lawyers aren't allowed to just bring this up. Okay, It is subject to uh, an in-camera review by the judge before the records are even turned over. So would both parties be a party to the the background of a a particular officer? Up until now, it was almost always the defense lawyers who were the ones inquiring because the the, I don't know if it's legally the burden, but it was usually the defense who would say to the judge, 
we want to, they'd call it, uh, it's either a Brady or a Pitches motion, depending on the particular circumstance and the court venue, but they would make motions that are named after two major court decisions that govern whether or not they're allowed to prowl into the background of the officer. And it has to be recent. It can't just, it can't be 15 years ago. It has to be relevant. It's got to have something to do with the core credibility of the person or have some other connection to the actual case they're talking about. And, and like one, you said, maybe it's just a similar case that this deputy was accused of that they're now on the And stand the one I've heard that comes up, the, the two that I hear come up most often are domestic violence and DUI. Um, there was a sheriff's detective involved in a very high-profile murder case who was being prosecuted for beating his wife at the same time he was testifying in the murder case, and that was excluded. Because the judge said, hey, that's, you know, maybe he's a creep at home, but that doesn't reflect necessarily on the credibility of the testimony in the homicide case. Um, stuff like that happens. Jim McDonald, the sheriff, has told me, the former assistant sheriff Todd Rogers told us in an interview that the whole idea of doing this was to uh, show that the sheriff's department has clean hands in its interactions with prosecutors. And, that, yeah. um, and again, this is not stuff that would be turned over to us, the public. It, we wouldn't know about this. This is just for the district attorney's office to use in guiding the way cases are prepared for trial. Um, and the the challenge to all of this that's being brought by the sheriff's union, ALADS, is before the state Supreme Court. And the state Supreme Court could quite possibly change this Im- almost impenetrable shield that police officers have had in California for all of these years that protects their disciplinary records from anybody finding out about but, them. But you said at the beginning, this is specific to California. The, our laws yes. here are much more protective of that information than other states. Our laws here are very unusual. When Bill Bratton was the chief of the L.A. Police Department, this was the, the needle in his side every day. Because in New York, he would tell me, we caught somebody behaving badly at work. He'd put a poster with their picture up in the roll call room of the police station. Say, hey, don't be like that guy. Look what we caught this guy doing. Doesn't mean everyone got fired, but the public knowledge of it uh, went a long way to keeping people on the straight and narrow. Here's the flip side to this. Because the disciplinary system is secret, police managers who don't like individuals in their department, maybe ones who are critical of the management, maybe ones who say, hey, you're uh, messing with the crime stats, they can put that officer on trial in secret. Nobody can know about it and potentially destroy and ruin their career in secret. It's like kangaroo court. So the secrecy kind of works both ways. Uh, on the public side of it, all of us, yeah, I'd like to know if the person responding to a 911 call who makes a domestic violence arrest himself maybe has a history of domestic violence and maybe that person should be in a different job, maybe. Uh, the flip side of it is police officers, uh, depending on how vindictive the management is, can be nailed for things that they can't speak up about. Eric, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Anytime. How about this? How about we give away a thousand bucks? Your shot at one thousand dollars now. Text the keyword "luck" to two hundred two hundred. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's luck to two hundred two hundred. And do not forget, if you do win, they will give you a call on your phone, but you're going to have to answer the phone. It might be from an uh, unrecognized number, but if you don't answer and you're the winner, they're going to move on to somebody else, and you become the not winner 
very quickly. We have been following the murder investigation into the death of Blaze Bernstein, body who was found in that Orange County Park after uh, missing. After the story was he went with a friend to this park, 9.30, 10.30 at night. The friend says, oh, I don't know where Blaze went. Then I went to my girlfriend's house. Then I didn't hear from Blaze on Snapchat, so I went back to the park in the middle of the night. All very shady. Especially since he couldn't remember his girlfriend's last name or where she lived. That's a problem. Yeah. Well, it looks like DNA, forensic evidence gathered at the scene, is where the focus is right now. They say this will help identify a potential suspect. It's interesting what information detectives release, right? You don't know if they're releasing certain information to get somebody a little jumpy, get somebody to start chatting online, get somebody to pick up the phone or maybe drive somewhere. Or to get them uh, uh, relaxed, perhaps. Or relaxed. Maybe, maybe they just give enough information where whoever it is that did this feels like the cops are on the wrong road and uh, they do something, like you said, and slip up. And start bragging about something that they shouldn't. The friend, when they brought him into the interview room in Orange County to talk to him, by the by the way, they said the information that he gave them throughout the interviews was fairly consistent. Well, when they brought this kid in, he had scratches, abrasions on his hands, dirty fingernails. When asked about these abrasions by detectives... The young man said they were from a fight club he participated in. I thought you weren't ever supposed to. That is the first rule. It's the second rule, too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that you mention it. He broke the rules. He's out of his fight club, that's for sure. He says he fell into a dirt puddle during the sparring. Well, let's play devil's advocate for a minute. Okay. Could it be that both of these kids were in said alleged fight club is it and that possible? this kid was beaten to death? Yeah, it's possible. But from what we know about Blaze Bernstein, the murdered mm. child, he is not the type of kid that would join a fight club. He was writing for the Pen Appetit newspaper right. magazine at his Ivy League college. Yeah. These are not the participants in fight club. The last time I checked. Um, the the most specific uh, update on this Blaze case is that the Sheriff's Department in Orange County says that the detectives have now obtained three search warrants in connection with the investigation. Uh, yesterday we told you about one, but there have been a couple of others. They said that they are not identifying any person of interest. They're not going to talk about the evidence that was cited in the search warrant affidavit. Uh, they did not release any of the details of the autopsy that was done on Wednesday. They have not told us about how Blaze was killed, but that they said that DNA evidence from his body and the crime scene uh, is given uh, being given a rapid examination for potential suspects. So I, I, I get my gut feeling is they know exactly who they're going after here. They haven't named him as a person of interest, him or her. They haven't uh, specifically said that there's anybody that they're looking at particularly. But I can't imagine that based on the details that we do know, and they are going to know a whole lot more than we do. It's sort of like the, uh, you know, just the tip of the iceberg cliche. They know exactly who they're going after, and they're just trying to to button up this case clearly before they present it to the uh, to the DA's office. If this kid didn't have his uh, stuff together to the tune of having dirty fingernails, the abrasions, the whole thing, and not knowing a, a girlfriend's name or location and making up a fake person, 
then it's going to be quick work for them. It's very sad. The um, the the tragedy of all of this, uh, mm-hmm. or I should say, one of the layers of the tragedy of all of this is that he was the oldest of three kids, so he's got a couple of younger siblings. And uh, Blaze's mom said that just in the last year or so, Blaze nineteen and his fourteen year old sister Bo became very close in this last year, especially since Blaze was you know finishing up high school, getting ready to go to uh, getting ready to go to college. And she said in an interview, he really started to enjoy her and her antics, and she looked up to him. Uh, the L.A. Times did a story about how when she told Bo early Wednesday that her older brother was, was dead, that the girl went through a scrapbook and discovered a letter that mom had written Blaze on the first day of school when he was in the first grade. And she wrote way back, this is the September of 2004, she wrote him a note, again, his first day of first grade, my stomach clenches a little bit thinking of my tiny little boy walking to class by himself, but I know you'll make it to room 16 when I leave you at the curb of Foothill Ranch Elementary School. And, of course, that school borders the park where his body was found. Oh, man. So just a horrific story. And, and any, any updates on that story we'll definitely bring to you as, as we... Uh, as we follow up on this. All right. Coming up next, we will go to Montecito for the very latest on the rescue efforts. And, oh, boy, if you start uh, looking at all of the real people that this thing has affected, was it, uh, It's I think it's K-E-Y-T that yep. published yep. all the pictures. Ooh, more stuff for the Rip Your Heart Out file. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. Gary and Shannon, a bunch of stuff going on today. Obviously, the uh, uh, assembled media from around the world have lost their minds over the president discussing S-hole countries, using the word, though, in an apparent Oval Office meeting yesterday. Um, He is also the president that is getting his first official medical exam today. We're expecting a comment from the Navy doctor who's going to do that, at least a statement from the Navy doctor who's going to do it, and then uh, meeting... Uh, the median, t- I think it's next week sometime to get into more details about what he finds when it comes to the president's health. And then uh, President First Lady headed down to Florida to uh, to work with a bunch of the Haitian people who work at Mar-a-Lago. I think that's what he's doing. Just a guess. Well, the, the story that we've covered all week, unfortunately, is the uh, devastating mudslides that hit Montecito early Tuesday morning. The human picture on this is starting to be unveiled, and it's devastating. The oldest victim, they're saying, swept away in this mudslide. man by the name of Jim Mitchell just celebrated his 89th birthday the day before. He died with his wife of more than 50 years. Her name was Alice. Yeah, Jim was the oldest. The youngest of the victims that we know of was three-year-old Kaylee Benitez, one of four kids who was killed. There was a six-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 12-year-old as well. They are up against the clock. Up against the clock trying to dig through the muck and the rubble looking for any sign of survivors. Captain even... Fire uh, Fire Captain Gary Pitney said, at this moment, we're still looking for live victims uh, but he, you know, he 
he confessed the likelihood is increasing that they'll be finding bodies, not survivors, and that you got to start rea- uh, accepting the reality of I wonder that. How, I wonder how much of that is just an obligate. He's got to say. I mean, he's got to say that they're still holding out hope. But yeah. in all honesty, I don't know. I don't know what it would be like to walk through the streets of Montecito. My understanding is that the entire area now is under a mandatory evacuation because not not because of the danger necessarily that every day goes by. The danger of more mudslides seems to wane. But just the idea that they've got so much equipment that they have to get in there to clear out these areas to where they can even begin the search for the uh, for the victims, for those who are still missing. And spokeswoman for Santa Barbara County says five people are missing as of early today. They gave the number as 43 yesterday, but said that many or most of those people may have simply been unreachable to the family and friends who reported they couldn't find them. That's a that's a good thing. I mean, I yeah. know that the. The number of missing, I think, from early yesterday morning went from 8 to 43, back to 8, and then up to whatever yesterday and back down to 5. It, I think that's an okay thing, and that's an understandable um, It's an understandable problem, I guess, to have when you're dealing with that number of people in this wide of an area that was devastated by these mudslides. Uh, the, the train service has been restored now. Uh, the tracks were covered with mud in certain areas, and that's been restored the 101 freeway is open as far as Carpinteria. It had been closed where it meets the 126 in Ventura. So they've been able to clear out certain areas of Highway 101, but especially right there through Montecito, where the majority of these mudslides have just emptied out onto the freeway. I wouldn't be surprised if we find, uh, unfortunately, bodies in in the muck that is still on the freeway. I mean, you, they were there were people who were found a mile and a half apart it was just so powerful well josie gower i think we we kind of talked about this the other day josie gower had stacked a couple of rows of sandbags around her home in montecito and figured that that would be okay she lives on east valley lived sorry on east valley road at about three in the morning she woke up to the sound of rain on the roof walks downstairs uh, her boyfriend had been keeping an eye on the storm. And that's when they open the front door Yeah, and uh, look outside. Right when they look outside, this wall of mud and debris and boulders as big as pickup trucks come towards their house and sweeps them right out of the front door. She clings to the door frame. Her boyfriend reaches for her hand. Neither one of them could hold on. He's thrown against a fence and pinned there. He's buried in mud up to his neck. And Josie is uh, swept away. He was in the mud calling her name for hours. And had no clue what happened to her. I mean, it, it's it's probably pitch black outside and you get swept away. It turns out that uh, from the hospital, basically, he found out that she had been taken to the to the coroner's office. They had an unidentified victim, a petite woman, blonde hair and a telltale gold tooth. Her, that- her body was found a mile away Uh, it was swept for a mile yeah you you, they're gonna find bodies on that highway i think just unbelievable um i don't know if you've also seen the video of the prius that was riding the the wave 
This was in Burbank. Yes. This wasn't Montecito, yes. but but I mean, just to give you an idea of the power, we had of, it posted on our uh, on our webpage at KFI. Yeah, uh, it, it is a crazy, crazy look. Now, look, the Prius is not the biggest car in the world, but still, it was it. It's as if that car is not attached to anything. It's floating like a toy boat in the middle of the street down this uh, down this road in Burbank here. Because of the uh, the mudslides. All right, coming up next, why you never really get away with murder. Either you get caught or the guilt does you in, one way or another. Proof when we return. Gary Chan, and we'll come back. Simple time. Well, there's a, a new twist to this whole uh, S-hole fiasco. Just uh, as an update. Talk to me, Goose. Well, Tim Scott, the uh, Republican senator from South Carolina, said his fellow South Carolina Republican Lindsey Graham confirmed, confirmed to him that the president did use the term S-hole countries during that White House meeting that Lindsey Graham was in. Uh, he said that the comments that have been widely reported by the press are basically accurate, that Lindsey Graham said he appreciated the comments of Dick Durbin, who I believe was the only Democrat who was in the meeting who came out and uh, and tattled on the president for saying things. Interesting, um, then, that the president denied saying or using that language. Why didn't he just double down on it like he does everything else? Why didn't he come out with a tweet that said, yeah, I called them asshole countries. That's what they are, and they're not sending us their best or something like that. I don't know. It's a good question. I remember the um, the issue of what the president said versus what's going to happen are two very different things. You can say you want your president to have a little bit more decorum uh, when it comes to issues of international relations like this and immigration and who we let in and who we don't. Just don't be an a-hole. Just you know, there's no, there's no, that does not advance the issue any, uh, in any way. Um, whether or not you agree with what he said, it's, it doesn't do anything to, to change the immigration problems that we have in this country. Let's go to Shingletown, California, shall we? Oh, what a beautiful place. Shasta County near Redding. They had a cold case on their hands. It was a murder, a murder that happened 25 years ago, 1993. A man walked into the sheriff's office and said, I did it. I found God, and now I'm admitting to my murder. Horrible. Horrible. Absolute, hor- absolutely horrible every day. Every, almost every minute of every day has been a nightmare. I said it's kind of weird that um, Frank never even got to have a life. And either did I. We were teenagers, and now I'm 44 and still haven't even had a life. And now probably most likely won't anyways. And now he's, he's talking about Frank McAllister is the guy who ended up killed. Frank McAllister was 20 years old in 1993. And that guy, Brian, the guy who turned himself in, and two other people lured Frank out to Shingletown, California, under the guise of selling him some meth. Instead, they robbed... Frank. He was stabbed to death, and all three left his body there and dumped his car at Costco. 
They took his money, they took his car, and they drove back to Reading where they abandoned his vehicle. Uh, in 1993, back when this happened, they knew that uh, Brian Hawkins and the Culver brother and sister were the last people to see him alive, but they said, we didn't do anything. We didn't have it. And the police had zero, um, they didn't have enough evidence to tie them to the actual murder. The guy's body was found about a year later by hikers. Uh, and at that point, you, you're not going to find any trace evidence or anything like that. You can hear it in his voice that although he got away with it, although you could argue if you were trying to make peace with yourself that you were a kid, that maybe you were into drugs, you were making bad decisions, you still can't run away from the fact that you took somebody's life. Killed a guy. And yes. every day that you're getting away with it, technically... It's on your mind. It's there. It's, you're never going to not think about it. Every single morning you wake up, is today the day I get caught? Well, do you have something that you would like to say? No. Oh. I've been through hell my whole life because of this. He went to, we mentioned that he went to this TV station, KRCR in Reading, went to the TV station and said, I'm going to confess to this. Thankfully, the TV station, whoever it was that pulled the trigger on this, was smart enough to say, we're not going to air this confession unless you also go to the police department and turn yourself in right away. So uh, that was very smart. He, he said what finally pushed him to come forward. God, Christ, these things that have happened throughout my whole life since then, for over 25 years, have pushed me and pushed me to do the right thing. I know I, the wrong can't be changed, but this is as close as I can come to doing the right thing. He sounds relieved. Yeah. He sounds like a man with a weight off of his shoulders. He'll have a better life in prison than he did free and thinking about this murder, chasing him, I think. You, that's an interesting way to look at it. I don't think I would say that he'd have a better life. Uh, it would be more relaxed. Yeah. As weird as that Could sounds. you imagine being stressed out about that? Something following you your whole life? Ugh. Couldn't even imagine. And who wouldn't feel that? I mean, sociopaths, right? Sociopaths. Psychopaths. They could kill that's without... Only, that's the only population. And unfortunately, uh, proportionately, they will murder more <laughs> because they don't have that guilt. Well, and I wonder, whatever happened to the, uh, to the other ones? I don't know what happened to the... Uh, I don't know either. They said that... The other the, two. Curtis and Shana, Shana, the brother and sister that were supposedly with them were taken to the Reading Police Department on Wednesday, but the, and they were arrested and booked uh, for homicide. So. Interesting how nobody left that small town. Well, come on. You've been there. If, yeah, but if I committed a murder there and got away with it for at least a year or so, I'd get the hell out of there. Yeah, that's weird. Right? Very, very weird. How did this show fly by? It's almost noon. Oh, it feels like it's about 10, 15. I know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have so much fun here. Um, We're going to be giving away $1,000. Next hour. Next hour. And the hour after that. Mm -hmm. We're also going to be talking about movies that are coming out that's uh, that are coming out this weekend. Jason Nathanson's going to join us to do that. Have you killed anyone that you want to let us know about now to, to make yourself feel more relaxed day to day? Is that why you're so quiet sometimes? At 1230, Ryan Burrow is going to join us from ABC News. He's got the latest out of Washington, D.C. and these comments that the president supposedly made. 
whether it's a big deal, whether it's not a big deal, it's causing some international issues we already know. I mean, we have uh, U.S. ambassadors to uh, to other countries that are being uh, officially requested to show up at uh, whatever country's leader's residence to explain what it is that's going on. I could get a priest in here. You could talk to him. Like a Catholic priest? Yeah. I'm not Catholic. It doesn't matter. God will hear your sins no matter what you are, I think. Oh, no, you have to go to, you have to go through your, uh, you know, communion and confession and all that. Reconciliation. Why does why do, do Catholics do, need operators? Wait a minute here. Do we do the reconciliation? Is that the one we go through, the sacrament we go through to confess our sins, reconciliation? Yeah. So we do that before we have our first Holy Communion. Right. Because you need to clear yourself. That's crazy. <laughs> why? That like a seven-year-old, isn't that when reconciliation is? Yeah, sometimes. You, you like do, a seven-year-old's got to go confess his or her sins. Right. right. Good Lord. To an operator? That's one, that's one sacrament. And then you got to go do it again right before you do your, your first communion. That's right, because yeah. you've got to be all clean. How old are you yeah. for that? Eight. Oh, it's, yeah, it's geez. usually within a year or so, something like that. That's nuts, isn't it? There's when you're rule. an adult and you start thinking about this that's crap? That's a lot of steps. Yeah, Good there's Lord. There's a lot of rules in that. <laughs> Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Well, you can't say Getting that. them all in. <laughs> <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue with What's Trending right after this.